disclaimer. In this story, we will be discussing child abuse, domestic violence, and murder. This chapter may be triggering for some listeners. This will be the only warning. Please do not listen if you are sensitive to this topic. I think I'll be sensitive to this topic. <laughs> hey everyone. Hey Bree. How's it going? I'm great. Are you? I'm good. Are you good? I'm a little nervous, <laughs> yeah. but I'm good. <laughs> yeah, this story. Uh, this is the story of Vera Joe Rigo. Vera Joe did not have an easy life. She was mentally challenged, stuck in the mind of an eight-year-old. Growing up, she suffered repeated sexual and physical abuse by her biological father, and then after he went to prison for that abuse, the abuse continued with her mother's new boyfriend. When Vera Joe was 19 years old, she met 13-year-old Zachary Brooks, and as it happened, she renewed a close friendship with Zachary's mother, Sherry Lynn Brooks. The Brooks family immediately took her in as part of the family, and Vera thought that she had finally found a family, and she felt loved in the home. She had no idea the evil that lurked inside the Brooks' home. I've never heard of this one before, and this sounds messed up. It's so, so she's, twisted. She's 19 years old, but she has the mind of an 8-year-old, correct? That's right. Okay. That's All right. right. Okay. So shortly after moving into the Brooks' home, Sherry Brooks started pushing Vera and Zachary together pressuring them to give her a grandbaby. What? Yeah. Ugh. I'm not excusing Vera here, but she was mentally disabled. I can't oh imagine God. that she was aware of the laws surrounding statutory rape or anything like that. But in any case, she did become pregnant with Zachary's <laughs> child. What the hell? At this point, I need to tell you more about Sherry Lynn Brooks. Sherry Lynn Brooks was born in 1962 in Fastoria, Ohio, she grew up in an abusive home where she was sexually abused by her father, who gave her the nickname Sugar Babe. At age three, her and her three siblings were removed from the home and placed into foster care. After her parents divorced in 1978, when Sherry was 16, she returned to live with her mother, Charlotte. But there was a problem. According to Charlotte, Sherry had told her that she had a baby, a baby that the foster care system wouldn't let her keep. But according to Sherry, it was her mother who hounded her until she admitted to having a baby. But in both accounts, her mother wanted that baby. Okay, yeah. So Sherry wanted... No. Charlotte was like... Okay, no. <laughs> I got this. Charlotte, as per Sherry, pushed Sherry into admitting that she had a baby that she didn't have kind of thing. Right. Okay. As per Sherry. As per Sherry. But according to Charlotte, Sherry, Sherry came home and her. said, I had a baby, but foster care won't let me have her. Oh, my God. So in any case, Charlotte um, wants that baby Wants that baby, and went to go get that baby, started okay. the process of getting that baby. Um, according to Sherry's caseworker, Sandy, Charlotte explained the situation and that she wanted the baby. Sandy informed her that there was never any baby and that Sherry had become a habitual liar, and that she lived in a fantasy world. She went on to say that whatever Sherry wants to believe, she decides is reality. Wow. Sherry had a large extended family, whom she was always around, even during her time in foster care. 
Her cousin on her mother's side, Daniel Bixler, was just two years older than her. At some point, the two had begun a sexual relationship. Oh my God. Both sides of the family were aware and accepting and even called them the kissing cousins. Do they still admit to being accepting of it? Like, why would you be accepting of that? Um, If we're talking about present day, I believe they're together. What? What? Yeah. What do you mean? Like, Daniel Bixler takes care of her, yeah. Daniel takes care of Sherry. Sherry. And they're, so they're together, together? Yeah. They're cousins? First cousins? (laughs) Second cousins? First cousins. First cousins. What the hell? Where, where are they? Where do they live? Alabama? Just kidding. (laughs) You would think, like, it gets even worse. Like, just wait. Okay. On August 9th, 1981, Sherry gave birth to their child, Scotty. That year, the couple lost custody of the baby boy after allegations of sexual abuse committed by Sherry were brought to light. The baby was placed in his grandmother Charlotte's custody. Um, Sometime in the following months, Sherry met Mike Maloney, and the two of them got married on March 5th, 1982. On August 19th, 1983, Sherry gave birth to her second son, Joshua. Due to the circumstances surrounding baby Scotty, Hancock County Children's Services stepped in immediately. Sherry and Mike were to be supervised for the safety and care of the baby boy. So the small family moved into a trailer that was reportedly filthy and unsanitary. Though Sherry was eligible for the WIC, which is Women, Infant, and Children's program, she refused several mandatory appointments and was subsequently removed from the program. So the WIC provides funds to mothers um, to provide nutritious foods and supplies for infants and children. Uh, Without the funding, baby Joshua suffered. Baby formula is expensive and is something that this program would have paid for. However, without it, Sherry and Mike settled for regular cow's milk. Um, Joshua's pediatrician told Sherry that the milk was dangerous, but she didn't care. It was likely that the milk caused the baby to have stomach issues and made him a colicky baby. So for anyone unaware, colicky babies are difficult. Colic often begins suddenly with loud nonstop crying. The baby can have all of its needs met and still continue to cry for hours on end. Um, The constant crying and inability to comfort the baby can lead to high levels of stress and frustration. It was during one particularly stressful night in November 1983 when Mike lost his patience and slapped the baby in the face. He cursed at the baby and threw him on the couch. That's so messed up. Threw him on the couch. Yeah. Sherry sat nearby and watched. Fortunately for baby Joshua, another family member was present and reported the incident to Children's Services. When questioned, Sherry admitted to Children's Services that Mike had slapped her several times and had slapped Joshua because he made Mike nervous. Sherry admitted to never having intervened. Wow. So Joshua was removed from their home and placed in protective custody on December 9th, 1983. Uh, Sherry and Mike continued to be supervised by Children's Services, um, perhaps with the hope that they could turn their lives around and take back custody of their baby, However, they did nothing to change, and Joshua was permanently committed to protective custody of Hancock Children's Services, and fortunately, he was adopted and was able to grow up under a different name. Thank God. 
Yeah. Sherry hadn't given up on having children, though, and in 1984, she gave birth to her third son, Michael Jr. Once again, allegations of abuse and neglect were reported, and Michael Jr. was removed from their custody when he was only a few months old. Wow. Why does she keep popping them out? The hell? Yeah, we get there. So in the spring of 1986, Sherry gave birth to her first daughter, Maria. With Maria, Sherry was an entirely different mother. She was attentive and caring. Maria was kept clean and well-fed and reportedly dressed in frilly dresses. According to friends and family, Sherry was obsessed with her baby girl. What the hell? Things were looking up, but the cycle of abuse had not stopped with the arrival of the baby girl. Uh-uh. Um, on the day before Easter in 1986, Sherry's dad called his sister Wanda to inform her that he was taking baby Maria to the hospital. The girl was bleeding from her vagina, and according to Charlotte, someone had raped our little Maria. When Sherry changed her diaper, it was all bloody down there. What the fuck? That night, Maria was treated and returned back into the care of her parents. Sherry was required to make an appointment to see the doctor the next day, and she agreed. Uh, The doctor quickly contacted the police. That night, Sherry told her mother, Charlotte, that she could take baby Maria home for the night. Charlotte didn't understand why until police arrived at Sherry's home looking to remove Maria from her house. When they didn't find her, Sherry refused to tell them where the baby was but it didn't take long to find out where she had hidden the baby. By 6 a.m. the next morning, Maria had been permanently removed from Sherry's custody. Do we know what, like, happened to Maria? Like, do we know who did that? Did they... We don't know who did it. I don't think it was Mike. I believe it was Sherry. Um, There was another report that I didn't specifically include in here where a family member walked in early on after she had Scotty and Sherry didn't realize that this family member had walked in and she had been giving Scotty a bath and was holding him up and was, had his genitals in her mouth. What the hell? That was one of the things that reported that was reported to children's services that, um, led to Basically, an investigation which caused her to surrender custody to her mother, Charlotte, of Scotty. Yeah, so... So they don't know if it was Mike, if it was uh, Sherry, but somebody did something to this little girl. Caused her to immediately be removed permanently. And they saved her. Yeah. Okay. It was reported that Sherry was inconsolable and never the same after the loss of Maria. So she did what you might expect and had another baby. This time she named her little girl Sherry. What the hell? This is weird. I can't believe this is even real. I I couldn't either. Just like baby Maria, Sherry was well cared for, but that didn't end the abuse. And before she was six months old, baby Sherry was permanently removed from the home. Neither Joshua, Maria, or Sherry ever saw their birth mother again. Thank God. God. Thank God. But like, this is a perfect example again of when I think that maybe government should be able to hold somebody down and friggin' tear out their ovaries. Like, (laughs) oh my God. Mm -hmm. So Sherry and Mike divorced in 1993, but not before she gave birth to a sixth child. On June 6, 1991, Kevin Lee Brooks, um, also known as Punky, was born. 
Baby Kevin was the child of Kevin Lee Brooks, Sr. It is unknown whether Sherry and Mike were separated at the time or if Sherry had an affair with her cousin. Um, Sherry and Kevin Sr. did eventually get married. Kevin Sr.? I thought it was Daniel. Is this another cousin? Yes, this is another They're cousin. They're keeping it in the family, but like, why the hell are they okay with this? Where do they live? <laughs> Does anybody know about this? Did anybody? Everybody knows about this. Why didn't they? It's crazy. Isn't like, it illegal there? It's illegal here. Like, I, it's so, you made like an off the cuff comment about what are we in like Alabama? Like, yeah. The, <laughs> the horrible, stereotypical, inbred, redneck, like hillbilly, hills have eyes <laughs> kind of. I mean, this story is is that, and it is real life, and it is so disturbing. Like, it, it caught my attention. Like, I can't even explain to you how twisted these people actually are. <laughs> this is messed up. Okay, I read forward just a little bit. Garth Allen Brooks? Mm-hmm. Garth Brooks? Mm-hmm. What the hell? Okay. All right. No, you just got to keep going, because... This just keeps, I I always think that like, okay, now we've dug far enough. Now we're going to start getting into like the story, but it's like, no, now the next cousin, <laughs> now the next baby. Yeah. The crazy. It is unknown whether Sherry and Mike were separated at the time or if Sherry had an affair with her cousin. Sherry and Kevin Sr. did eventually get married. Sherry doted on baby Punky and surprisingly, she was allowed to keep him. And on June 18th, 1992, she gave birth to another baby boy, Zachary Curtis Brooks. And then on July 26th, 1993, she had Garth Allen Brooks. In 1997, she gave birth to baby number nine, Chuck Alfred Brooks, who we called Chucky. Oh, my God. So she retained custody of all four of those boys. Why? How? Mm. Mm. Punky had a violent streak and even found himself to be a member of the Crips gang. In fact, it was well known that he was the only person that Sherry was afraid of. According to friends and family, Punky ruled the house. Despite this, Sherry loved her son until he was taken from her. But this time, it wasn't by the government. On Sunday, July 4, 2010, just before 10 p.m., the Hancock County Sheriff's Office responded to a single-vehicle pedestrian injury crash. Uh, The official police report stated, it was learned that Eric W. Calvin, 32 years of age, of Finley, was driving a 2007 Saturn northbound on Country Road 220. A Mr. Kevin L. Brooks Jr., otherwise known as Punky, 19 years of age, of Finley, was walking northbound on Country Road 220. Mr. Calvin's vehicle struck Mr. Brooks with the passenger side of the vehicle. Mr. Brooks was taken from the scene to the Blanchard Valley Hospital by EMS, where he subsequently passed away. Wow. Sherry was notified of the incident about 20 minutes after Punky had been taken to the hospital, and by the time she and Kevin arrived at the hospital, he was already dead. Sherry wanted revenge, and she quickly sought it, despite the facts surrounding the accident. That night, Punky had been walking with his girlfriend, Heather. The couple was out to buy some heroin. It's worth noting that Sherry did not like Heather. 
Punky and Heather had been dating for several years and even had a baby together, but the baby was a boy, and that was something that Sherry resented. What? She was all about the baby girls. So, like, but you have four boys in your house, you fucking crazy bat. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. So that night, Punky happened to be walking closest to the street when he was struck by the car. Sherry believed that Heather pushed him in front of the car. She worked herself up into believing that Heather had paid the driver of the car to kill her son. During the, during a memorial gathering at their home, Sherry spotted Heather and quickly leaned over to another relative, Marcy, and said, I need you to do me a favor. I need you to beat Heather. Marcy wasted no time and soon had Heather on the ground, punching her in the face, dragging her down the porch steps by her hair and continuing to beat her. Onlookers cheered her on, shouting, take her to the curb, curb stomp her, just brutally assaulting her. What the fuck? Um, My head hurts from this. This is insanity. So fortunately for Heather, Marcy didn't um, curb stomp her. Instead, continue beating her until her face was covered in blood and her nose was badly broken. Um, when she was finished, she screamed at her, that's what you get for messing with my family because you killed Punky. Sherry had Punky cremated, but instead of burying and spreading the ashes, she placed the bag of ash on a shelf in her living room. Um, she added one of his t-shirts, some of his Crips paraphernalia, and even had a spot where she could leave him his favorite candy bars, which were Kit Kats. Weird. Sherry had made a reputation for herself around town. She sold meth and was a bully and a manipulator, um, also a pathological liar. It took very little to get people to do what she wanted, and people began to refer to her as Charles Manson, only more dangerous. Yeah. Um, as we know, Punky wasn't Sherry's only son at this point. She also had Zach, Garth, and Chucky. All three boys had violent streaks. She had her boys, but Sherry wanted another baby. But it had to be a baby girl. Mm, okay. Sherry began to pressure her son Garth to get with his then 15-year-old girlfriend Gina. Um, and when Gina finally did get pregnant, Sherry opened her home up to her. Within months, Gina realized her mistake. Um, did she get out? Uh, Sherry was controlling and did not treat Gina well. She, When she had enough, she decided that she was going to move out. Before she was able to do so, she miscarried the baby. Um, Sherry was furious, and Gina left, fleeing to several states away to be with her own family Good. Um, in Kentucky, actually. Um, after the loss of Gina's baby, uh, Sherry hatched a new plan. Zachary, now 13, and happened to be friends with the 19-year-old Vera Joe Regal. So here we are. Full circle. We're right back to Vera now. Okay. So the connection there, Sherry actually knew Vera when she was a baby. Vera's mother, Verna, and father Willard live in the same apartment complex as Sherry and Mike had, and Vera was born around the same time baby Maria was six months old. After Maria was removed from her custody, Sherry turned her attention to Vera, often asking to spend time with her or even babysit. Sherry had grown so insistent that Verna eventually had to tell her to back off, that Vera was her baby and not Sherry's. Wow. Well, Vera was a good baby. She had been born with developmental delays. 
diagnosed with ADD and having a below average IQ. As if that wasn't hard enough, when she was 11 years old, she was raped by her father. Vera was easygoing and eager to please. This made her easily manipulated, and she would also never develop past a mental maturity of an 8 to 12 year old. Wow. The Brooks family and the Regal family kept in touch over the years, and by the time Vera was 19, they were living only blocks away from one another. So Sherry started encouraging Zachary to invite Vera over on a more regular basis. The more time Vera spent with the Brooks family, the more time Sherry had to convince her that she loved her and her own mother didn't, and even spread a rumor telling people that Vera's mother was dead. And as if that wasn't bad enough, Sherry discovered that due to her disability, Vera received social security disability checks. Uh, Her efforts only escalated after that, and soon Vera had moved out of her family home and into the Brooks home. Vera just had to sign her disability checks over to Sherry for rent. Wow. Living with this new family, Vera wanted to please them. She ended up doing the majority of the cleaning around the house and even found herself taking care of Sherry. Sherry was diabetic and had a lot of pain and issues with her feet. She was overweight and wheelchair bound. Vera was tasked with caring for Sherry's feet. Wow. Removing bandages, giving her foot rubs, and then rebandaging them. Um, If Vera made a wrong move or used too much pressure, she would be struck with a long stick that looked like a back scratcher. That's not Um, a loving home. Get out, girl. Her sons called it the itchy stick. Mm, Okay. After about a year, Vera had been cut off from all outside influence. Her cell phone was taken away. She couldn't visit with her family. Sherry told her that her mother wanted nothing to do with her. On the occasion that Vera was allowed out of the house, and if she saw someone she knew, she would more or less hide, waving quickly before rushing away or giving no response at all. Sherry began to encourage Zachary and Vera to become a couple. He was almost 15 at that point, and Vera was almost 21. Wow, ew. Zachary was also cognitively challenged and had personality disorder. He was easily manipulated by his mother, and soon began to show romantic interest in Vera, who was thrilled. Soon after, Vera became pregnant, and Sherry became obsessed. Um, Vera was going to have a baby girl. Oh, God. As the due date approached, Sherry became more possessive and unstable. Vera was nothing more than an incubator for the baby. She wasn't allowed to pick out furniture or clothing. She wasn't allowed to decide anything, including what the baby's name would be. Sherry informed her that the baby would be named Willie Dean. With Willie Dean due in December, Sherry stepped up her plans to take this baby as her own. In September, she told Zachary that he needed to give up his parental rights and sign them over to her, and he agreed. Toward the end of October, Sherry had another idea. Her birthday was November 3rd, and Willie Dean had to be born on her birthday. Oh my god. So castor oil has a history of serving as a homeopathic remedy for centuries. One of its uses has been to induce labor. As with anything, there are risks, and the dosage was one of them. Typically, about four tablespoons is enough. Sherry bought three bottles, and on November 3rd, mixed them with orange juice and had Vera drink it all. Oh, God. Um, Vera became incredibly sick and went into labor just as Sherry had hoped. 
The baby was born six weeks early, but not until November 4th. Baby Willadine was underweight, had difficulty breathing, and had heart problems. Well, no crap. Like, that's insanity. Sherry maintained control of the baby. She told nurses not to take the baby to Vera, but kept her in the nursery. She didn't like the nurses to hold the baby and always told them to put her down. When Vera had the baby, she was there, telling her what to do and what not to do. Despite everything, Vera persevered, fighting to be a good mom. She was attentive, affectionate, and spent as much time with her as she could. But in Sherry's mind, Willadine was hers. She beat Vera and encouraged Zachary to do so too. Vera was beaten nearly every day. She was secluded from everyone in the family, but never allowed to leave. If Vera made any move to leave, Sherry threatened Willadine's life. Calls were made to family services on Vera's behalf by people who knew what the living situation was like in the Brooks family home. There was no running water. They used a bucket for their bathroom needs. Ew. They even had pigs living in the house. I mean, pigs living in the house can be cute if it's not filth. Mm. Wow. So when family services uh, followed up and showed up at the house to question Vera about the abuse or what her life was like, she always lied and told them everything were, was okay and things were good. Uh, but things were not okay and definitely not good. Sherry had taken over Willie Dean. Though Vera was very much in love with Zachary, he showed no interest in her. In fact, he was frequently on the prowl, even posting, I really need a girl on his Facebook nearly every other day. By the time Willadine was two, Sherry began to lose interest and wanted another baby. She began to pressure Zachary and Garth into getting another girl pregnant, and she didn't want Vera to be the mother. She didn't want Vera around at all. The beatings escalated, and Sherry decided that Vera was only allowed to eat leftovers off of plates the others had already eaten from, and sometimes not even then. One night, after three days of being denied any food, Vera was so hungry she made a fatal mistake. Though at this time, Punky had been dead for seven months, Sherry continued to keep a shrine in place, including his favorite snack, that Kit Kat bar. Desperate for food, Vera swiped the candy bar and ate it. Unfortunately, there was a witness. Um, Gina had worked her way back into Sherry's good graces and was desperately trying to become Zachary's girlfriend. And she, it was... What? Gina was the one that was dating... No. Yeah. Garth. Garth. Mm. Is Garth older? No. Younger? Yeah. Gina wanted to come back? Yeah. What the hell? And was trying to become Zach's girlfriend. Correct. It is believed that Gina went straight to Sherry and Vera was severely punished for eating that candy bar. She was beaten, left with two black eyes, a broken nose, and a multitude of welts and bruises. Jesus. Um, Vera was forced to sleep in a closet with the pig, forced to eat unmentionable things such as feces, blood, and food straight from the garbage. At the same time, Sherry's cousin Danny Bixler and his girlfriend Nicole Peters came to stay with the family. Danny had recently gotten out of prison, but had already had an active warrant out and was looking for a place to hide. While Danny was a hard criminal, Nicole was sadistic and happily joined in the abuse of Vera, always with a smile on her face. Beating Vera brought them sexual excitement 
and they would often pause during the beatings to go and have sex. I'm tired <laughs> from this one. Like this is, there's just so much. Mm-hmm. Um, so the week of March 20th, Sherry began to joke about killing Vera. According to her son, Michael, Sherry wanted to drug Vera with her sleeping pills and Zachary wanted to get her high on pot, mix those two things together and then let her walk on the railroad tracks at nighttime. Eventually she would fall over lay in the middle of the tracks, and there would be no way for the conductor to stop the train in time. Shannon, who is Michael's wife, added, Then Sherry said they needed to cut her up, then put her on the tracks. Vera was sitting in the same room, and Sherry looked over at her and waved and smiled, and then turned straight back talking about killing her. Gina said, quote, Sherry said if she did get smashed by the train, there would be no way to identify her by fingerprints because she would be like hamburger meat, unquote. Joke or not, Sherry had ideas. On March 20th, Sherry told Zachary that Vera was responsible for Punky's death, telling him and Danny that Vera was the one who pushed Punky in front of the car. They had to kill Vera to avenge Punky's death. Both Zachary and Danny exploded with rage. What the hell? I'm sorry, but this is a whole lot of stupid. <laughs> like, like you can't write this stuff. Yeah. What the? What? Um, on March 24th, Sherry instigated a beating and sexual assault on Vera with a toothbrush. What? Um, reportedly, she was on her period at this time. So after they finished assaulting her with the toothbrush, they made her use it. Ew. On March 25th, Vera was noticeably weak. She had been beaten and starved and had difficulty walking at this point. At some point that day, Danny and Nicole followed Vera into the bathroom and stabbed her in the leg. According to Vera's aunt, Wanda Smith, Sherry said that she took her finger and stuck it in the hole on Vera's leg where they stabbed her. Jesus. Sherry confirmed the statement later in the documentary that I told you about. She actually um, demonstrated with her finger like how far in she stuck her finger into the wound and it's like the entire length of her finger is she still alive she is yeah and was she in jail when she did this interview for unrelated at the time of the interview no she's in jail uh, right now for unrelated things we'll okay. get there yeah we'll have to because what the hell when vera begged for food 14 year old chucky brought in dog poo and forced her to eat it for some reason, that's the only thing that's ringing a bell for me. Hmm. Like, perhaps I, like, briefly seen this case, and then, because that that is ringing a bell. But keep going. So on March 26, Vera endured even more abuse, being stabbed in the leg by Danny. There was a story that Sherry had told Zach that Vera purposely pushed the baby into the dresser, setting Zach into a rage. He beat Vera, punching her in the face, stomping on her wherever his foot landed over and over. At some point, Danny and Nicole also became involved in the beating because Sherry told them that Vera wanted to sleep with Danny. At some point, he handed a knife to Angel, a family friend, and asked her if she wanted to slice on Vera or cut her up. It is unknown whether she took part but she did later report witnessing Zachary, Danny, and Nicole beating her. Danny slid a Mastercraft padlock onto his belt. 
and the group used it as a weapon to further beat Vera over her head and back. Jesus. So when Angel's mother arrived at the house later that day, Sherry explained the behavior by saying that Vera had been mean to one of the Bixler boys' babies, and that was why she was being beaten. Vera just stood there with her head down, waiting for more blows. Also, at some point during the day, Zachary assaulted Vera with a yellow pipe, sodomizing her brutally while his family watched. Jesus. Not sure if I mentioned this or not, but most of this is taking place in Sherry's room because she's bedridden. She doesn't leave her room much. She's either in her bed or at her computer desk in her room. And Vera dutifully stays close to her just in case she needs anything. And I also think that she stays there to be close to the baby who Sherry had basically taken over the mothering of. Um, While all this was going on, Chucky, Garth, and some of the other Bixler cousins got into a fight with another group of teenagers in front of the house. Police were called, but by the time they arrived, most of the fight had broken off and they had no reason to approach the house. At some point, Danny sprayed Vera down with mace, though everyone says that Vera sprayed the mace. The house quickly became toxic. Everyone inside had issues breathing, their eyes and skin burned. Uh, Michael's wife, Shannon, who had supposedly told the family that she was pregnant as per a home pregnancy test, went to the hospital to get checked. During the visit, Shannon was examined and told that she was not pregnant. When she and Michael arrived back at the house, according to Shannon, she told the family that she's not pregnant. Zach, Sherry, and the others took this to mean that she had miscarried, brought on by the mace. There are so many different stories, excuses, lies that we will never know for sure, but this is what is thought to have sparked the next chain of events. Because they're saying she sprayed the mace. Correct. So essentially she caused this miscarriage. And who said that it was Danny who sprayed the mace? Do we know that? After everything was done, everybody said they were pretty sure it was Danny who sprayed the mace. Okay. But he was blaming Vera. Okay. So the events of that evening are not clear. Everyone involved in some way or another had a different story to tell. But the outcome was the same. Zachary, Danny, and Nicole forced Vera to put her shoes on and take a walk with them. She didn't want to, but she didn't have a choice. She was reportedly crying, asking either Shannon or Scotty to go with them. It was almost like she knew what was going to happen at least that she was going to be in danger. No one went with them, and Vera ended up leaving with Danny and Nicole. As she walked out of the house, she said, Good night, sugar babe. Why'd she say that? Just saying good night to Sherry. They and, still called her that? Yeah. She didn't mind being called that? What the hell? Everybody to this day, even that's her name, sugar babe. Okay, and... Was Zach with her? Because Vera ended up leaving with Danny and Nicole. But So conflicting stories, evidence shows just Danny and Nicole. Okay. They walked Vera to the railroad tracks where they continued their earlier abuse by stabbing her relentlessly with a knife that by this time had become unbearably dull. They forced her to take her clothes off uh, because they were getting in the way of the stab wounds. Uh, The knife wouldn't go through the clothes. So they forced her to take her own clothes off, then stabbed her again and again. When she was close to death and unable to move or do anything, they had her lay down sideways on the tracks 
and they left her there to die. They discarded the knife into a nearby lake, and when the train came, it could not stop in time. The conductor thought he saw a deer on the tracks, but he was shocked to find a human body under his train. The space between her body and the bottom of the train was only one inch. So she was so emaciated and tiny. Um, She had a little bit of life left in her, and she was able to pull herself off the track. So she's on the wood between the tracks. She's in the fetal position. She, her body measured 12 inches off the ground. That train's clearance was 13 inches. So oh, wow. It didn't, it didn't move her. It didn't touch her. And the train was able to stop within eight car lengths. Okay. But she's dead? She is dead. Because it wasn't immediate, right? Like, it was a while later that the train came. Yeah. So they left her on the tracks just assuming a train would come eventually and just cut her up. Get rid of some evidence. And they left, right? Totally. But in between the time of them leaving and the train coming, Vera had mustered the strength to get herself off of the tracks part and in between the tracks, and she curled up and she she died in that position. Um, Police questioned the Brooks family, and immediately Sherry tried to blame the murder on Vera's black boyfriend. But she had no boyfriend. Then police found Nicole's bloody shirt, a belt, and even a lock of Vera's hair. These people, after they killed Vera, they went home. They told everybody what they had done. They went to Danny Bickler's sister's house, which was a few blocks away, and they drank and they celebrated. And when they were drunk, they started talking. So people had reported what they had been talking about um, to the police. They brought Like, everybody in the story was interrogated at least twice. Mm -hmm. Some of them three, four, five times. Um, But anyways, the police found Nicole's bloody shirt, a belt, and even a lock of Vera's hair. Um, Danny and Nicole confessed to murder and told the police that Sherry had given Vera drugs and talked them into killing her, including instructions on how to do it. Both of them took plea deals, and Danny was sentenced to 40 years to life for murder, and Nicole received 23 years for conspiracy to commit murder. That's it? So those are the only two people that were charged in connection to Vera's murder. Now, Zach was charged with obstruction of justice, basically lied to police officer, and he was sentenced to four years. Um, Michael was charged with obstruction of justice and was sentenced to 30 days in jail with five years probation. Keep in mind, in my opinion, their only crime, Michael, Shannon, Garth, um, these three, their only crime was not reporting it, not helping. They should all be in prison for life. They should be. Um, Shannon was charged with obstruction of justice. Um, She took a deal in exchange for her cooperation and she received just probation. Garth was charged with obstruction of justice. He was given a fine. Chucky was charged with obstruction of justice. During the time of his sentencing, he was already serving time in the juvenile detention facility for truancy. The judge sentenced him to a rehab program in a juvenile institution out of state with the stipulation that if he did not complete the program, they would hold him until his 21st birthday. He completed the program and was released just prior to his 18th birthday. Scotty was charged with obstruction of justice and was sentenced to probation. 
Kevin Brooks Sr. was not charged in connection with Vera's murder. So Kevin Brooks Sr., he never took part in any of the abuse, but he never spoke up and said anything. Um, Hmm. So Danny, in one of his interrogations, said that the timing of it was dependent on Kevin Sr. So Kevin Sr. at some point got up to walk down to the store to buy cigarettes And because he was gone, that's when they decided that it's time to go. It's time to make Vera. We don't have any witnesses that are going to say anything. So that's why they left, because they all thought that Kevin Sr. would for sure tell the police that these guys took Vera. I still don't understand why Sherry isn't Mm. charged. Sherry was not charged in connection at all. All of these people were interrogated by the police. Um, all of the interrogations are up on YouTube. These people are next level twisted. Um, the only good outcome is that Willa Dean was taken from Sherry and has since been adopted by a loving family. The day after Vera's murder, police searched the riverbank and found her clothes. Inside the pocket of her favorite purple hoodie, police found a note which read, I love you, Willa Dean. You're a good little baby girl to us. I'm glad to be your mommy, and I'm glad that I had you on November 4th at 4.16 a.m., 6 pounds, 2 ounces, 19 inches long. Mommy loves you. The note has been given to Willie Dean's adoptive family to give to her sometime in the future when the time is right. Wow. Um, Sherry Brooks right now, she is in prison for violating her probation conditions that was the result of drug trafficking charges. You know, you'd think to try and, like, get somebody who they probably knew was dealing drugs already, you'd think that they would pin her with at least some of the things that people were saying, like Danny and Nicole, if they were saying, she got us to do it. Like, mm-hmm. You would think, and, I mean, it's such a mind-boggling case. There, Go to change.org, there is a petition to have the other family members charged and held accountable for Vera's murder um, because they're all responsible on some level. Um, but And the movie is called Goodnight, Sugar Babe. It is disturbing. It is twisted. And I did not realize that there were people like this walking the face of the earth um, that are free. I mean, absolutely incredible. And to see Sherry Brooks... You have to wonder how she was able to get people to do her bidding. Like Manipulations just, from the time that they were babies. I guess, but I mean, nobody questioned her. Like nobody was afraid. Everybody was afraid of her. Nobody would step in. And I, I don't understand that. I have never in my life met somebody so intimidating that you can't you would never say anything if you thought they were abusing a child or a woman or, you know what I mean? Like, I just, yeah, I but can't. but it sounds like they were all, like, druggies, like, pieces of shit. Gang members and. were okay with sleeping with your cousin. And intellectually like, challenged, inbred children. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what a crazy case. Absolute insane case but yeah there is a petition on change.org if they had interrogations if you're not putting in any clips or anything no yeah no that's that's so crazy i it took a lot out of me actually listening to all of that just because it's so much and like 
it hurts knowing that there are people like that, that there are things like this that are happening and there's next to nothing that you can do to mm-hmm. help it. Or there's babies who are struggling, baby after baby after baby, even and just no, in this one and nothing. house. Like she had nine kids. She, she probably did that to, to these nine boys too. Absolutely. And Scotty, she's probably on that movie, Scotty says, my mother sexually abused me. Like he remembers this. Like he was raised by his grandma, but he had daily contact with this woman. I would say, I bet you all of the boys probably still had a weird sexual relationship with their mom all the way too. Mm-hmm. So that's why it was like love, but confused, confused love. You know what I mean? They felt like that was their person they got mixed up between their mother and also the person that they love and also that they're getting abused by but because they're already manipulated they're seeing it as some kind of form of sexual gratification when they're older it's just complete rewiring and fucking up the brain yeah so she pretty much just made herself a little posse she did posse of criminals and it's so so disturbing. It's a great documentary, though. I I'm recommend watch it. it. Uh, Good night, sugar babe. Where is it? Um, YouTube. 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 Oh wow. Yep. Okay. Good night, sugar babe is the name of it, and that is the story of Vera Joe Regal. Okay. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and share with your friends. If you don't mind giving us a five star rating, it will help our show grow. Check out our TikTok where you can find interesting photos and content on all released episodes. You can also find us on Facebook and YouTube at True Crime Story Podcast where the discussion can continue. If you wish to contact us, you may do so via email at truecrimestorypod at gmail.com. I'm Bree. And I'm Char. And we'll see you on the next chapter. Bye. Bye.